welcome to Conversations About Life. Well, thank you, Peter, for being a guest on my podcast. And, Boss, you're with us, too. Yes. So, Thanks. Boss and Peter, you're both from the Netherlands. But, Boss, you've been living over here in the U.S. for a pretty good while. And then, Peter, you're visiting. Yep. So you're, but you've been here before. I've uh, been here before, yeah. Boss is my brother, so I've visited the U.S. before, and I've visited you a few times. And yes. we also have family living in the U.S., so... This is, I think this is like my fifth or sixth time visiting, visiting the U.S. Okay. So, yeah, so you're pretty accustomed with the U.S. and, and that by now, I guess. Yeah, uh, I, I think so, yeah. Every time I'm here, I'm still surprised by certain things. Uh, but I'm also pretty used to, uh, to the country. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, I thought I would start off just by asking you a little bit about yourself um i guess just like for an intro mm. why don't you introduce yourself peter and we're uh since you're the visitor we're going to probably f be focusing mainly on you yeah at, at this point so anyway yeah so uh, tell us a little bit about yourself well my name is peter which is uh, spelled p-i-e-t-i-e-r so it's like Peter, okay. uh, but in Dutch you say Peter. Mm -hmm. uh, and I grew up in a family of three kids. Bas is my eldest brother, and then I also have another brother, Jelle. Um, and we grew up in the Netherlands, uh, in a city close to the coast, so close to the sea. And I'm currently 31 years old. And I live in Rotterdam, which is the second largest city in the Netherlands, uh, after Amsterdam. And I'm cu currently uh, working as a teacher at college. So I, uh, I'm a teacher for students who want to be primary teacher themselves. So I'm, I'm a teacher trainer. Uh, and I'm also part of my neighborhood council in my neighborhood. Uh, okay. And that's what I do professionally. Um, and in my free times, I enjoy listening to podcasts. So, okay. it, so it's quite an honor being in a podcast myself because that's my hobby, listening to them. And uh, what podcast do you enjoy? Mm. Um, well, I, I enjoy listening to political podcasts. So there are quite a few political podcasts in the Netherlands, which are Dutch, uh, about geopolitics, about national politics, about history. When it comes to American or English-speaking podcasts, I listen to The Daily and to The Rest is History and The Rest is Politics and The Guardian. I think that's about it. Okay. The Daily, is it The Daily Wire or just The Daily? No, The Daily is from The New York Times. I see. Okay. Yeah. 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 So it's a daily podcast. That's okay. why they call it The Daily. So, so you're into world news and politics yep. and stuff yep. like that? Yeah. Okay. Well, what is... Um, Home like, I guess you're in an urban area, right? Yeah, I am in an urban area. Yeah. What's home like? Um, what's the Netherlands like in your home, especially as it compares and contrasts with uh, the U.S.? Well, it, it's a lot more urban. So where I live, um, I live in a street. I live in an apartment, so there are many 
uh, a lot of houses a bit more crammed together. Uh, and there's a, a tram uh, outside and there are uh, there's a lot more public transportation in the Netherlands. So if I go to work, for example, I cycle to work, uh, just a 30-minute cycle, and uh, there, you have separate roads for cars and bicycles, so it's a lot more bicycle-friendly pretty much in the whole country. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the country is a lot more compact when you live in the cities, but also when you live in villages. So right here you have a lot of houses that are... Uh, how do you call it? Freestanding, freestand. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas in the Netherlands, you will get that in smaller villages, but most of the people live in what we call a rijtjeshuis, which is a row house, which are just houses put together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the Netherlands is a lot more compact. Uh, it's a lot more flat. Um, and there's a lot more diversity uh, when it comes to transport. So... Uh, Every time I'm here, I'm surprised by how many cars you see and by how the whole society is completely designed for the cars. Mm -hmm. Whereas I'm used to uh, a country that's designed for many types of traffic. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you, I think that would be one of the first things you would, uh, that would surprise you if you're an American, that you would see a lot of bicycles. You would see a lot more trains, a lot more buses, a lot more trams, uh, a lot more uh, compact cities where people are walking and on terraces. So I think on the first side, that will be the first major uh, difference compared to the US. Hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, more people per... Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, it's uh, The Netherlands is one of the most populated uh areas i guess in the world but at least also in europe as well mm-hmm. uh so it's very densely populated and and we uh every literally every square kilometer is has a purpose so we don't have any uh wild well we do have nature but then it's designed to be nature right uh, so you have parks and things like that yeah we have parks and some parks are big uh and we have we do have a lot of green parts too but everything uh we don't have any unused grounds i think or barely Mm -hmm. yeah now to be fair we're also from the urban area so there are parts that are a little more remote where people have less but I, I still think the same rings true, that you still use your bike and you still use public transportation a whole lot more than you would here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but, but you're right about that. There are uh, a major part of the Netherlands uh, is a lot more or a lot less urban, a lot more rural. Um, but you would still be able to get at most places by bicycle. Uh, so do you have a car? I do have a car. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I, I use it about once a week uh, or maybe twice a week, only if I need to go to my parents uh, and then uh, it's a bit more convenient because it saves me 45 minutes by going to car. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's pretty much the only time I use my car and all the other times I just use my bicycle or go by train. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It sounds nice. Like I like the idea. I've always thought I would like to live in like an urban setting, mm. like you know, um, are you familiar with the Kirkwood downtown mm-hmm. area? 
It's kind of nice. You got out, you know, coffee shops where you sit outside on the sidewalk and you can walk and there's a lot of bikes and stuff like that. Yeah. It appeals to me. Yeah. Whereas like this neighborhood out here, it is kind of designed for the car, yeah. you know, and you can even see that in the architecture. The The big thing in front of the house is the garage. Yep. You know. Well, exactly. Yeah. And and I arrived here because I arrived last Thursday and I arrived in Detroit and Detroit, of course, is the car city uh, mm-hmm. and it's completely designed for cars. But I'm just driving there thinking, why are the roads so big? I mean, why do you need so much space for cars? Yeah. Uh, it just amazes me. Yeah. So um, do you like it where you live? Um, I li- yeah, I like where I live. Yeah, I yeah. like living there. Uh, I, like, I like the city of Rotterdam. I've been living there for two years now, I think. And uh, it's really vibrant, it's urban, uh, it has a lot of energy and creativity, and I do like that. But I'm a real urban guy, so yeah. uh, I really enjoy being in a big city and uh, just realizing that there are so many people living there, uh, and yeah. there are so many yeah, possibilities to connect with different people. Yeah. What about people? What are people like in Netherlands? Um, well, I would love to pretend there's one type of Dutch person, but of course there isn't. Yeah. Uh, so there's now, a, is Dutch the language that's spoken? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we do speak Dutch okay. Nederlands, uh, okay. and which is different from German or Deutsch. Uh, okay. So it sounds quite sim- similar, but those are two different languages. So in the Netherlands, you speak Dutch. Okay. Uh, and the people. Uh, yeah, that's difficult to answer because there are so many different people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you could say that uh, Dutch people are a bit more direct. And uh, there's a bit less... Um, how do you call it? Uh, um, I'm not a native speaker, so sometimes the nuance uh, disappears. But uh, I would say a bit less small talk. Um, so uh, the first day I arrived here, you're having all these interactions like uh, when you're at the counter or in a shop, people ask you, hey, how are you? And then you're supposed to say, good, how are you? And then the <laughs> other one says, good, uh, thank you for asking. And that, that whole interaction, that would have happened in the Netherlands, not with people you don't know. Okay. So uh, people don't commonly say, how are you doing and stuff like that? They do, but okay. only if they at least have seen you one time before and oh, if they okay. ask they, they really most of the time are genuinely interested okay I see uh, yeah. and if they are not uh, they still um, you can actually say I'm fine and then the other one knows you're not doing too well but you don't just ask about it so it's a bit more direct and there's a li- uh, there's less small talk I see yeah um, so most of the time you know what people actually think but that's also a cultural difference because in the south of the Netherlands, there's a bit more small talk uh, and people communicate a bit more indirect or polite, as they would say. So also within the Netherlands, those differences exist. Yeah. Are people um, pretty, um, like uh, in Latin America, people are pretty affectionate, like hugs and embraces mm-hmm. and stuff like that and and then some cultures they're very they're very not how like in japan and so forth how is it in the netherlands it's sort of that people pretty warm and, and physical 
<laughs> well, yeah, it also really depends on on the groups of people you're talking about. So, okay. uh, the Netherlands is a really diverse country, and if you look at Rotterdam, for example, we have so many uh, ethnicities and diversities uh, who are all Dutch. Uh, so, uh, and you would have people who would hug you straight away, and there would be people who would just back off a bit. But I guess the stereotypical Dutch person is a little less affectionate. Okay. Um, a lot less. Yeah, well, I, I, I <laughs> it's true that when I'm here, I also, I always have to, uh, like, put a turbo on my kindness. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> when I meet a waitress in the Netherlands, I would just say, thank you for serving me. And here, I just tell myself, to say thanks so much uh, you're <laughs> wonderful because otherwise i come across as rude i see uh so yeah, yeah we might be a lot less affectionate now you mentioned like the different how people are different there's different groups and things like that yeah. and um so do the different groups interact quite a bit or do you kind of stay with your own people so to speak i think um uh, in that sense, it also really depends in, on what context you are talking about. Of course, there is segregation among groups, uh, but I think compared to the US, people meet each other more because there's a lot more public transportation, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, pretty much all the schooling is public. Uh, and we have a political system in which you uh, have to be it's bipartisan or onpartijdig. Well, you have to form a coalition. There's no, there's no major party. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you always in politics, everybody is used to, uh, yeah, form coalitions, but also be a bit more pragmatic. Mm -hmm. So compared to the U.S., uh, there's a bit less polarization, um, and still the polarization is present. Yeah. So. Um you know, like different groups, are they identifiable by just how they dress and how they look? Or is it, you, do you have to get to know people to figure out that this person is like different than me and their culture and so forth? Yeah, it's, it's getting a bit repetitive. So, because uh, that too really depends on also the place where you're going to. If you go to a city like Rotterdam, mm -hmm. uh, it's really difficult to distinguish between different kind of people because... Yeah. Uh, it's so urban that, uh, I mean, many people have a mixture of different backgrounds. So it wouldn't make sense to say, oh, you are a Dutch American person. You, um, you can make the distinction, but it doesn't make a lot of sense. Whereas if you go to more rural areas, uh, you will, uh, for example, recognize the conservative Christians because they are uh, all wearing skirts uh, yeah, right, yeah. Um, or they are all wearing robes and so you can distinguish certain groups of people um, right but it's not that strict right well what um, what strikes you about the US especially the people how are um, American people different um, well I did talk about the small talk um, yeah. And to me, it's a bit confusing, but it's also really nice. I mean, you do feel welcome and you do feel appreciated. And I think that's a real plus. 
of the US that uh, people are often kind and also on the streets that you will be greeted kindly. Uh, I think that's a difference and that also confuses me because sometimes I think, oh, you are genuinely interested in me and then I'm just a bit confused. So that's a major difference. And I think also, um, look, I love politics. So every question you ask me might uh, might get a polit political answer. Mm -hmm. uh, but when it comes to politics, uh, American people are a lot more individual, like a lot more. Uh, and are very much more distrusting of government, for example, hmm. and distrusting of taxes. I see what you mean, right? Um, yeah, and and that's a huge cultural difference. Hmm. Yeah, and that's kind of how we got our start, I guess. Distrustful. <laughs> yeah, and, distrustful and it makes, makes sense because this whole country was built uh, by people who wanted their own country and who wanted right. their own space, mm -hmm. uh, also at the cost. Uh, many times of the people who were actually living there. Mm -hmm. And yet the, the country was built uh, with the promise of freedom uh, and having your own space. And also many migrants moved from Europe, for example, because they wanted to get rid of a restrictive government. Yeah. Whereas uh, the Netherlands is built uh, by making dikes uh, and working mm -hmm. together because otherwise you would be flooded by the water. Right. Uh, and uh, and the Netherlands is a welfare state. So you're completely used. I pay quite a lot of taxes. Uh, but I'm really glad I can pay that much taxes because it's mean the it means the roads are good. The traffic is good. You have a good healthcare system. You have a good educational system. Uh, so many people in the Netherlands see a strong government as something positive. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the U.S., it would be quite negative, according to many people. Right. Um, so, like, you pay a lot of taxes, like 50% or more or less? Or? Um, I should know this by head, but there used to be a time where the highest, uh, like... Bracket. Branch? Bracket. The highest bracket of taxes would be 52%. Okay. Uh, but we've had a more conservative government in the last 15 years, so it's been lowered. I think it's about 35% uh, at its highest, but that's only income tax. And we do pay 20% uh, tax on all the products. Uh, our employers also have to pay extra taxes uh, before the uh our salary is paid off. So uh, there are many more taxes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 32% or 30, you know, that don't seem like, that seems kind of comparable to the U.S. somewhat, but. Yeah, maybe. But I'm. But 20% on buying things is is high. Like ours is more like 7 or 8% around here, I think. Yeah. and And so our employees, before we have to pay our income taxes, employees have to pay for uh, pensions, welfare. So there are also collective taxes that the employers right. pay before you get your salary. And then you have to pay income taxes from the salary. So there are certain steps, which in the end means you just, as a country, you pay more taxes. 
Right. And people are pretty accepting of that, or is there grumbling about the taxes? Well, I I cannot completely answer this objectively because I'm quite left-wing, so uh, many of the people I know uh, like it. But of course, there there are also many people in the Netherlands who want to pay less taxes. We do have political parties, and there are also parties who... Mm -hmm say we are paying way too much taxes, it should be lowered. But even those parties uh, would never uh, get rid of public education, get rid of public health. They would never get rid of uh, public transportation. So also the more conservative uh, parties that want to cut taxes compared to the US, they are very left-wing. Okay. Right, compared to the U.S. Yeah. So I think in the U.S., um, people kind of are distrusting of government, like you said, and they are wanting more limited government, and and they kind of see the place in government as just particular things, like protecting mm-hmm. our country, you know, yeah. so the military, um, roads, and, you know, different things like that. But... Um, and I think that uh, some of it is like kind of thinking that free market is going to be more efficient mm-hmm. in things, and there's because there's that incentive, you know, to cut costs, be lean and mean, and you know, yeah. do things. Whereas the government can be kind of bloated, you know. It's like, well, you got your job, and the money's coming in, so it's like there can be some inefficiency. I think that's one concern that the government doesn't do things as well as the free market, but it, you know, it kind of depends on what it, what's it is. And then there's, um, as far as like the welfare type of thing, people, I think like conservatives over here kind of feel like it, um, it's not personal enough, um, and can just make an alternative lifestyle, for people um, taking away the incentive for them to uh, contribute to society and yeah. work and stuff like that. Yeah. So are those, I guess if you got a conservative, uh, you know, uh, group, uh, then th- th- it's the same thing that might be same sentiments that might be ex- expressed yeah. in, yeah, in so Netherlands it's, it's, and stuff. Huh? It kind of is the same of course, we have the same discussion about it. So right. the more conservative parties, they would say this welfare state make you lazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, people are just uh, profiting of the collective. And we should be a lot more strict. And it has been the case like that for the last 15 years. It was a lot more stricter. Whereas other people would say, no, this is it's about well-being and it's actually investing of the well-being of your society. So you do have those two, uh, like uh, those two sides in the Netherlands as well. And still, the more conservative party uh, still invests a lot in uh, public compared to the U.S. It's a lot less extreme. Right. And and if you would ask me personally, I would say that both uh, the logic of the market is is not as efficient as people pretend to be in in a lot of areas. So if you look at public transportation, for example, um, 
I mean, there has been a lot of privatization uh, here in the US on railways, which means that it's not cost effective to actually maintain your railway, which means that the whole infrastructure just breaks down, which is not efficient on the long term, uh, but it might make more money on the short term. And there are many domains of society where it's, uh, you can earn a lot more money on the short term, whereas the societal cost is extremely high. Uh, hmm. And my uh, analysis of a lot of problems in the, the American society are that there was way too much uh, like uh, privatization, privatization. Um, and way too much trust in the power of the market. Mm -hmm. If you look at education, if you look at the healthcare system, uh, at the moment, the American healthcare system is one of, is really expensive. If you look what you pay as an individual for the health you get, mm -hmm. it's a lot, lot more than we pay in the Netherlands. Whereas the, the quality of the health system, I mean, it's better for the top 5%, but for the other people, it's a lot worse than in the Netherlands in a lot of occasions. So uh, it might seem that thinking in a, a market logic makes it more efficient, whereas on the long run, uh, it just increases the societal cost and you don't really get better services. But again, I'm very biased because I'm quite left-wing. Right. Uh, but that would be my... Uh, yeah, my response to the more conservative American uh, like, uh, view on uh, paying tax taxes and a welfare state. Right. Yeah, I think it it does de depend on the specter or the you know the area of society. Yeah. Like, of course, we wouldn't want our highways to be private sector you know but you know so it, i think it does depend and i think you're i can kind of see the point like um our healthcare system has a, a lot to be desired it seems you know like there's yeah it seems like it's lacking but um and it depends on your world view of course which which is uh, the whole point of politics that you have different world viewers and are in discussion about it, and I like that. Right. Uh, but I'm often surprised by how the American society is uh, structured and how everybody legitimizes it uh, with uh, individuality and uh, like a very uh, like a market logic. Whereas I think, well, there are other possibilities, but. Yeah. Um, how old were you, Bas, when you came to the U.S.? Let's see. It was ten years ago, so I was third. No, twenty-five. Okay. So, um, what is your from living here for a while? You know, on this topic, what is your? Per, do you have any kind of a different perspective, or is it kind of along the same line as Peter's? Or it's I I have grown more conservative over the years. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's, I was always interested in American politics as well. Mm -hmm. And so I, I took my information from, uh, well, most of my news came from The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. Mm -hmm. 
And what I've seen over the years is that there's a lot, there's narrative going on on both sides. And I, I look at both and I think, well, you're wrong. And, or I don't feel home at any of them, but mm -hmm. I have seen that the one that I was comfortable with and the one that I grew up, grew up in, um, it's incomplete and it has made me more conservative, but I also don't feel home in a conservative ideology. Mm -hmm. So right. I, I like, I like floating in between a little. You're a bit stuck in two worlds, I guess. Yeah, but that's, I think that's true in, in culture and almost every part of my life. Mm -hmm. What about, um, is family life different in the Netherlands? Like just family and friends and community and how you, um, you know, live in connection with one another? And, or is it pretty much the same? Mm, I, I think my family life is... Um, Yeah, I, I find it hard to say. Maybe you can answer it better. Yeah, I, th I, I think family life in itself looks the same. But social life in general mm -hmm. uh, is a lot more structured in the Netherlands. There's, hmm. from what I understand, I've not been really been there for 10 years, of course. But mm -hmm. from what I see, from what I know, from what I grew up with, there's very little room for spontaneity. Hmm. Uh, especially later in life. I mean, I, I was in college when I left, and of course, that's, you know, that's a little more... Uh, Spontaneous. Yeah. But as you grow out of that, there's there's the, the typical saying that you, you get one cookie for with your coffee. So someone brings you the, the, the little bucket, mm -hmm. you, you take one cookie out, and then you're supposed to leave when dinner starts. It, it's this stereotypical view of this is how a visit goes. You're, you're definitely not staying for dinner. Yeah, but then, the, I mean, uh, that view is based on a very stereotypical view of Dutch culture indeed, which, I mean, I don't know anybody who does that i mean i know a lot of people who say that happens but in my friend group nobody i mean i can take as many cookies as i want uh, <laughs> well, you, but you're still still lingering in the college phase uh, no i'm not that's been quite a long time ago i mean but uh, i see what you mean but i um well but i don't i don't live here of course so it's hard to say but if um at least i in the Netherlands, it's a bit more easier to visit your friends and family because people live closer. So you would more often visit your friends and family. Yeah. So even when your friends are busy, um, I mean, I see my friends at least once a week uh, and my friends live on the other side of the country, but it's still one hour and 15 minutes away. Mm -hmm. So you can a lot more easily visit friends and stay in touch. But I do have to admit, they don't have kids yet. So maybe as soon as they have kids, my life becomes very structured and I'm only allowed to eat one cookie when I'm there and have to leave within 30 minutes. And do they visit you in the spur of the moment or did you make an appointment to visit? I We can visit in the spur of the moment. Oh. I often just call and then say, well, do we have time tonight or maybe tomorrow? 
um, yeah. Okay, okay. Then, but but you are right that it's typical for Dutch culture that often you plan those things. So uh, many of the friends, even if you do it the day prior, you do say when will you be there, and then you are supposed to be there around that time. Um, and I mean, if you just visit without saying it prior, then there's a real chance that it will not be convenient. But still, most of my friends would just let me in. Yeah. Um, I just realized that I I still work from that mindset. Uh, because I like to know on beforehand how long am I going to be... Some that might also just be my social awkwardness. <laughs> but I'd like to know if I'm going to visit somewhere, how long will it be? And what all can I expect? And I don't, I don't know if that's a cultural or a personal thing, but maybe the two just blend very well together for me. Yeah. Um, is like leisure time in Dutch culture about the same as over here, or no? It's no. a lot more. A lot more. So there's a lot more leisure time. Yeah. Well, okay. at least yeah, because, uh, well, for example, myself, I currently am on vacation, uh, and I get a four-week vacation in the summer. And a two-week vacation during Christmas and a one-week vacation in May. I work in education, so that helps. But yeah. most of the people in the Netherlands get four or five weeks of holidays, uh, which are paid. Uh, and many, a lot of my friends also work four days a week um, because they want at least three days off. Mm -hmm. um, and I do think that's a real difference compared to the U.S., yeah, uh, but that's also possible because uh, life is—I mean, it's real expensive. But compared to the U.S., my niece, who's American as well, uh, or uh, oh no, never mind—it's my cousin. Uh, she has to work all summer long to save for her studies, uh, whereas uh, education is like. 10% or 5% of what it would cost. Uh, in the Netherlands, it costs about 5 or 10% of what it would cost in the US, mm -hmm. which means that you have more free time because you don't have to save all your money uh, yeah. to go to education or to go to college. But I must admit that's also, uh, there are many people in the Netherlands who do have to work a lot more right now because in the last 15 years, poverty has risen. Uh, so uh, there's less uh, leisure time than I would have wanted. So what uh, what's behind that? Is do you know why poverty has risen? Um, well, it, it, here you get this biased answer as well. In my view, it's because we've had a conservative government which has cut uh, costs, uh, and now we're getting the societal cost of those costs that were cut. That's an awful sentence, but uh, they cut cost on uh, youth care, they cut cost on education, they cut cost on health care, um, and they limited social housing, for example, which means now that it's really difficult to get an affordable house. Um, you have to pay a lot more for your education. 
Um, so that means that people have to work harder and work more in order to make a good living. Uh, but on general, a lot of society has a lot more free time and life is less about only being successful on a professional level. So it's very acceptable mm -hmm. uh, at a lot of workplaces to say, well, I'm going to work one day less because I want to be there for my kids. <laughs> or you say, I'm going to work one day less because I just want to go sailing. Um, people yeah. won't find that very weird. Of course, there are sectors where it will be weird, but in many sectors that will be just be fine. Yeah. And people will be, uh, well, good for you. Enjoy it. So, um, so you come from a, like a religious background, yeah. but, you know, Bas has told me that you've grown kind of more, moved more in a secular direction over the years. Yeah. So, um, I guess maybe let's just kind of turn the conversation toward that and, um, and just kind of, I guess I'll just ask like, what's that like? Um, is, have you enjoyed that? Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, just anything else you might want to say about that? Yeah. Um, and what do you mean? Have you enjoyed that? Um, like, uh, as far as being more secular and leaving religion behind, mm -hmm. you were in Christianity, right? Yeah. So, um, what do you enjoy about that? Like, yeah. um, what ha what changes have come about because of that shift over the years? Yeah. And, um, yeah, I guess that's kind of what I'm asking. Yeah, maybe it's important to explain that um, I do call, I mean, whether I call myself a Christian depends on the context I'm in. Okay. So if I say I'm a Christian to you, you might have a lot of assumptions that other people might not have. Okay. Uh, so in a way, I'm a bit more secular, whereas... I personally still view myself as a Christian, but my being of a Christian has changed in the last few years. Okay. So uh, I would view myself as a Christian because I strive to uh, love my neighbor, uh, look out for the poor, uh, take care of refugees, um, try to be humble, um, but also not strive for your own success, but uh, constantly see, ask yourself the question, what can I do for the good of the people? Um, and I strive to do that. Of course, I cannot always do that because I'm, uh, I also have my pride, but I'm Christian in a way that I'm a bit skeptical about my own pride and keep thinking, well, it should be... Uh, in honor of the goods. And you could say perhaps in honor of God, because I still have the attitude as if it were uh, almost a an offer to God. Um, so in that sense, I still strive to uh, maybe have a Christian character and look for a Christian good. And yet, um, I don't strive to... I mean, there were a time when I was trying to pray every day to this personal God that would respond to me. Um, 
And I would try to believe that uh, the story of the Bible was factually true. Uh, but I just never could get my head around it. Uh, and it, um, it made a lot less... Uh, I, I just never was able to f find it to be true. Uh, I did find it believable in a way because it gave meaning, but I never found it to be true. And it's a real relief to just admit that many of the things Christians would believe, and especially the dogmas, I don't find them true. Okay. Uh, and so if you ask me what's it like, I really like being honest to myself and also the people around me and not tr desperately trying to uh, pretend to be some kind of Christian I'm not. Right. Okay. Um, so you like the the moral aspect of Jesus and his mm -hmm. teaching okay but as far as the um the story you're skeptical about that about the things that really have yeah I'm, I'm skeptical I'm skeptical about the story but I'm also skeptical about uh, uh, orthodox moral um, so um, so I'm skeptical skeptical about the truth of the story but I've also been become a lot more skeptical about the impact of having a very strict um, wrong and right moral. Okay. Whereas people who agree with you are right and people who don't agree with you are wrong and might end up in hell and the people who are good might end up in heaven. I'm qu very skeptical about such a moral framework as well. Right. Uh, okay. But, but just the general do unto others she would have them do unto you that yeah. part is the part that you yeah, and like. also that you find god in the poor in the eyes of the hmm. poor yeah and in the face of the other um so do you believe in god then well it it depends on what you mean by belief i mean mm -hmm. god is alive in a sense that it uh that people uh, that the story of God inspires a lot of people and uh, brings people in, uh, it inspires people and moves them. Uh, and in that set, sense, God exists. But I, the strange thing, it really depends on the situation. Right now, I would say I do not think a God that is a person above humans exists. But when somebody dies, I'm still praying to that God. Hmm. Okay. Whereas I don't think it's, uh, I mean, it actually as, exists as an entity. But in, in certain moments, I'm still praying to the God I don't believe in. So it's all very hmm. um, ambivalent mm -hmm. and very uh, paradoxal. Okay. So some of the practices still resonate with you or still seem meaningful to yeah. you even without the belief huh? yeah it's it's like the uh it's the existential foundation uh which i will always be rooted in and at existential moments like life and death uh and sorrow uh i 
I fall back on this foundation. Um, and I like that. So that that's just who I am. I, I do find that valuable. Um, and at the same time, um, I don't have feel any urgency to impose that on others. Right. Or yeah. to make any any uh, epistemological claims about reality based on that. Mm -hmm. Can right. I make a caricature of your... Yeah. So what I hear you say is on one end that God is a culturally constructed mm -hmm. reality. Yeah. But that at other moments that are meaningful to you, it's almost like a sense of God is still lingering because of how you grew up. Yeah. So, and the two are a paradox to you. Yeah, but if you sketch it like that, they perfectly combine. Because uh, when something is culturally constructive, you can still, you are also part of that same culture and you're rooted in that same culture. So, uh, yeah, so it yeah, comes alive. Then. You're also praying to a God you don't believe exists. Yeah, but I'm going to say something very blasphemous. And the fact that I'm warning you still says something about my Christian roots. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, when I watch Lord of the Rings, mm -hmm. it also comes alive. Uh, and, and I can uh, be impressed by Gandalf, for example. Uh, and uh, I can, or when you talk maybe about Santa Claus, you can also, even as an adult... Uh, suddenly be brought back to the memories where you actually believed Santa Claus existed uh, or feel the magic of Santa Claus. And the funny thing is that this is logically sound and also I feel a bit ashamed for comparing God to Santa Claus. Uh, but, but that's pretty much the uh, paradox I'm, I will always be in. Uh, so for me on a logic level... Uh, I do think uh, it's a good story, which is really important because we need good stories as human beings and everybody needs inspiring stories. Um, and it's no more than that. But for me, that's not a problem because I love a good story and I think that through a good story, you can be inspired. But it doesn't mean that a, the mere fact a story inspires you means that an entity of whom the story is about is actually present. Hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to identify with that because I, I don't think I, I don't remember ever believing in Santa Claus. So I'm just mm. trying to think, is there something parallel for me that I can, I you know, compare it to? But like a good story like The Lord of the Rings, um, it inspires, but it touches on something that we feel is real, like it might touch on the reality of, bravery, courage, mm -hmm. adventure, nobility, and stuff like that, you know, yeah. and we believe those things are true. Um, so yeah, but kinda, I, yeah. yes, but I do think that the Bible definitely touches on uh, very fundamental truths about life. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, that it's enriching uh, and perhaps holy to... Uh, 
take care of the poor and the oppressed and not to live your life for yourself, but live your life for your neighbor. Uh, so, uh, yes, I do agree with you that mm -hmm. in this story, there are many fundamental truths. So can um, moral reality, does that logically make sense without the existence of God? Um, like, I guess... So you might not be just a pure naturalist then, um, but or a materialist. Mm -hmm. um, but like I'm tr just trying to think of um, if you believe in like moral objective truth, mm -hmm. does that? Uh, how does that fit? You know, without like um, believing in a god, if it's just material, that's all that there is. You know, well. There's never. Uh, I don't believe in a uh, moral or an objective moral uh, entity. So, if you asked is if morality is possible without God, I would say yes. If your question would be, would a moral be possible without good, I would say no. So, you do need a also a, almost a meta metaphysical or no at least a transcendent good in order to talk about morality okay the good right. that transcends uh human material mm -hmm. material and also that transcends the human individual well what's uh, the what's good or value based in i guess without um god like i guess it could be a substitute for god maybe um Otherwise, like... Um, well, the question is really really interesting. What's good based on without God? Mm -hmm. um, I would say the mere presence of the people around you, that's the foundation of good, taking care of each other. When a baby is born, you don't need, uh, you no, don't need to believe in God to take care of it. Uh, you right. see yeah. a call for help. And you help. So the presence of others uh, calls for a good. And the presence of others also calls for a good that transcends just your friends. But also right. calls for a good that uh, goes beyond that. Also goes around people you might not yet know or might never meet. But the choices of your life still impact you. So you need a good that transcends your own perspective but i would say the mere presence of human beings and animals and plants and things that are alive that's the start of good so i think um right you don't have to believe in god to do good to see a baby and give care mm -hmm. but to kind of have to for that to be grounded somewhere and not just to be meaningless when you get down you know you dig down mm -hmm. to like what what it almost seems like you have to have God for that, perhaps. I don't know. Yeah, I can imagine. I, I can imagine it seems like that. Mm -hmm. I personally don't agree with uh, that it is necessary. But, uh, I mean, there's a, always a limit to your logic, of course. Because I would say that uh, the mere presence of others 
is the foundation in itself. Taking care of others is the foundation in itself because we are present here, we exist. And that's where it starts. Because then you need to ask, what, how can we exist in a good way? And of course, you need to answer what good is. But for all those steps, you don't necessarily need a God. But of course, if you would keep on asking, you would come at a point where you can deconstruct all meaning. Mm -hmm. Right. But yeah. that's the same with God. You can also deconstruct God. Because where did God come from? And where, where did his good come from? Well, that's see. But then um, you're kind of like having a different definition for God. Like kind of the definition of God is like it all. He is the source of it all. Mm -hmm. And um, if you're going beyond, say, well, where did God come from? Then it's almost like, well, we're not talking about what we mean, the same thing as God. Like the definition would be the ultimate reality, the ultimate being who's not a part of the universe, anything mm. we can go see or examine or observe, but like the being that's behind it all. So it, in that sense, it doesn't make sense to go just to say who created God and so forth. You know, no, but, or, Yeah, but, but you could, I could use exactly the same logic for the presence of the people. Because uh, if I just come up with a word that people are ever present. Yeah. Uh, then, then I could also just see that's the ultimate. Yeah, say so, that's the ultimate. Right. So it's, I think you're tr right. In, in a sense, it's it's a play of words. I'm I know uh, the discussion, uh, but what Christians often do is that they that uh, they come at the border of their logic, and they then they just come up with words which validates that their logic stops, like. Uh, God is enduring, God is ever-present, God is eternal. Those are words uh, to mas masquerade the fact that you're also a bit stuck. Whereas well, I would just agree that mm -hmm. I don't have a... Uh, for me, it stops at the mere presence of people and taking care of each other. That's where it stops. And I would just agree, no, there's no... Behind that, for example, if we would, um, if a comet would uh, destroy the whole Earth, I would say there would be no good anymore because good exists because people are talking about good, and okay. then good would be gone, which is a very good reason for me to prevent the Earth from dying because yeah. then there would be no good anymore. So I think you're right. You get down to the point where. Logic just don't go beyond it, and then mm -hmm. for Christians or theists, that is God. Yeah, and then and it can be something else, but it has, but it eventually has to be something. And you're saying for you that is just good. So I, yeah. I agree that you do come down to some kind of foundation, mm -hmm. and it's just a matter of like what kind of foundation makes the most sense. I think that's a legitimate question. Yeah, and like. Um, well, so and, and you're saying what yours is, and I'm you know so that's kind of so I yeah, understand I think and 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 for me because uh, like at the start of this religious conversation you asked me how I like being more secular, um, and what I like about it is that the question of the foundation is less relevant 
because that's that's what I found so exhausting as a Christian that you keep coming up with this uh, extra logical layers you don't always need because if if the question is the, just how can I do good to the people around me you can come up with a answer and if you're not pretending it's the only answer but just look for a answer that seems to make sense and then just act then you can live your life already whereas i when i try to be uh let's say a more orthodox christian and orthodoxy means of course that you uh, ortho means right and doxos means uh uh, yeah, layer, uh teaching maybe doctrine. yeah uh, right teaching when you're trying to be an orthodox you're always looking for the right and just teachings and it was exhausting for me because everything i did it was just looking at the, precisely as we are doing now what's the foundation of what we are doing now and i would i would just be stuck always in those answers and now i'm just not looking for that foundation anymore and it's so relieving because it makes it a, it also makes it a lot more easy to interact with people. Because if people say I don't agree with you, uh, I don't believe there's a God, then you can just say, oh, that's interesting. Uh, you don't have to believe in God for me because that's not my foundation of everything I do. And we can just interact and find out who you are. So it makes you a lot more open, or at least it makes me a lot more open to people with other perspectives. And it makes it a lot, a lot less of a problem if people have a completely different perspective. But you can still get along. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. And I guess you're speaking of tolerance, which I agree is a good mm -hmm. thing. Um, so, yeah. And I think that's um, probably, you know, like that's not something that's, that's a Christian value too, I believe. Tolerance. Mm -hmm. um, and just understand, you know, your your love is not um, dependent upon somebody else having the right beliefs yeah. and, and yeah. so forth. Yeah. yeah. And in a way, I'm still quite Christian it, in that sense because, uh, yeah, so in my practice, I'm still inspired by Christianity for a major part. Mm -hmm. Right. Because Christianity um, describes a God of love and when it comes down to um, your the essence of what is that foundation for you, love is a way to say it, I guess. You're saying yeah. the good, caring for others. So there is that kind of common type of thing. Um, you don't see it as personal, that like there's a personal God behind the No, there's love. no, for me, there's no personal entity right. uh, that's behind all that, but still... Uh, it uh, through it you you meet a lot of important truth. Okay, so Baz, do you have any thoughts or you know like I just if you want to you know chime sure. in here with anything, it just reminds me it, it's like you took you know where Jesus says just to, to, to sum up the law and the prophets is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and strength mm. and to love your neighbor as yourself. What you're saying is. You almost replaced that, and you're saying you can summarize the law and the prophets and everything good that Christianity brings by saying you uh, love your neighbor as yourself, 
and you work towards the common good. Is that is it a fair? Yeah. Yeah. So, and and perhaps you you also encounter something of the good life. Yeah. So that's an important part as well. That if you try to um, take care of your neighbor in the broadest sense of the word, if you look after people who are poor, if you do not strive for your own wealth, then uh, you might suddenly encounter something good. Oh, yeah. I, uh, and I think that has been consistent in just teachings throughout the ages that there is a good to be found whatever your foundation is in in putting others before yourselves that it comes up again and again and again it's just fascinating to me that uh like i said jesus summarizes everything in those two love the lord your god love your neighbor as yourself and it's almost as if he also says if you start looking, if you start digging too deep mm -hmm. and you come to that foundation and you start asking questions and where are the borders of logic, then I think that's the time to go back to the start. Yeah. And the start is love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. So to me, it's almost as if Jesus gives up a warning that, you know, if you're going too deep, you're, you, you stop caring about what's really important because what's really important is your heart towards God and your heart towards your neighbor. Yeah, well, exactly. And, and it, it says a lot, of course, because people went to Jesus to ask him, what is the gospel really about? And he, then he starts with um, to look for your neighbor, to love God. Uh, so, yeah, that says a lot, I think. So um, I was listening to someone. It was a podcast. Mm -hmm. His name is Gavin... Ortland, I think. Ortland is the, the right last name. Yeah. I think it's Gavin. But his podcast is called Truth Unites. And recently he was talking about our culture here in the mm -hmm. U.S., which is increasingly secular, you know. Yeah. And about what he um, sees as like a, a feeling of despair, I mm -hmm. guess. And I can identify with this sometimes where day, just day and day, and it just, you know, there can be like, a, it just feels gray. He also used the word flatness. There can just be a, a flatness to it. And um, his thoughts are that this, like a, a secular, um, not having God in your worldview and life leads to kind of that flatness about mm. life and he's um he would see the contrast being like a a, a worldview of god and knowing god and then being um caught up in the glory of god mm. and then everything the sun the trees the birds you know it's it's a part of a bigger thing that all ends in God and the display of his glory and um, and God himself you know as a personal God who who loves and orchestrates and upholds and stuff you know that's like can be a source of uh, nourishment for the soul yeah. and delight and stuff like that so do you have any thoughts about um, 
the secular life, um, you know, kind of ending or leading to that flatness of like meaninglessness. Mm. Like, you know, you, you just kind of go through your routines day by day and it just starts getting gray and flat, so to speak. Yeah. Well, I think any perspective on life can become flat. A Christian worldview can also become very flat. Um, and so can a secular worldview. Um, so I think that's, that would be true for any worldview or any religion you have, because you lose touch with what vibrates and what inspires. Well, like technically... So this is like theoretically, yeah. the a theistic view wouldn't or a Christian view wouldn't grow flat because of God being infinite. So like if like life was eternal here, mm -hmm. you would think you know everyone almost would agree like you know it would be unbearable you know because things you know are are bright and exciting when they're you're a kid, but then you experience and you know it just grows old. But if the life is all about exploring a God who has no end and you're just mm -hmm. going deeper and higher and fuller Then theoretically, if that is true, yeah. then there wouldn't, you know, then it's not, that worldview would be an exception to, uh, to other worldviews, I think, without that. Yeah, I, I'm not too sure about that. I'm, okay. I'm, I, uh, I'm not too sure whether, uh, a Christian worldview is unique in that. I mean, you could also say from a very secular perspective that the earth itself is ever-present and the whole creation around you, well, the word creation supposes a creator, of course, but everything, nature you see around you is ever-present and it's cyclical. Uh, and it's and quite, you, and you can't get to the end of it because yeah. there's always more to explore and so forth. Exactly. Right. So uh, the very same logic would be possible without assuming a god. And in that sense, you could, could also be committed to the world around you. You could be committed to the people around you. And I think the uh, like the major ingredient for uh, being inspired and living a good life would not necessarily be the theory itself, but more uh, your ontvankelijkheid, your openness, receptiveness. receptiveness to the good around you. Um, so I can imagine Christians living that way and being very receptive to the good in the world and being inspired by, uh, by a Christian religion and also being inspired by God as they view it. Um, and yet it would also be very well possible to say that you are inspired, whereas you're not very receptive at all. Uh, and to pretend to be a good Christian, whereas, uh, I mean, how many churches are there or how many Christians are there that uh, go to church every, uh, every Sunday and pray uh, a lot of inspi inspirational prayers? Uh, and sing a lot of inspirational songs and then when they meet a homeless man on the street they just ignore it uh, or would never pay money to it or think it's disgusting I mean 
those people would say they are a good Christian, but I, I would say they are missing out on an important part of being a Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, so my response is two-sided. I do think it's very well possible that in theory it sounds real good, but you're not as receptive. And I do think being receptive for the good in the world is the key part and not the theory in itself. You can also be very receptive to the good when you're a Muslim or when uh, you're a Hinduist or when you're secular or an atheist. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do think that's possible, but I do understand that many Christian theologians would say that it's only for the Christians. And for you, that's what you find inspiring, like the good, like the connection, the love, and so forth. Like yeah, I find the it thing inspiring that satisfies your soul. I find it inspiring to be able to be receptive to a multitude of perspectives. Uh, and also looking for good and uh, looking for the good and looking for to take care of people in different environments. Um, what you were saying, and you were maybe on a different track, but it, you mentioned like the universe. And I thought, you know, like it does seem like that could stand in. And I think it does stand in for God for some people because mm-hmm. they even say, you know, like praying to the universe, you know, they use words like that. Yeah. And, um, but the universe is something it's, I don't know if it's infinite or not. I mean, I think science would say it's not. Um, but from our own understanding, we haven't come to the end of it yet. Yeah. You know, we, you can go deep down into the molecular and, you know, there's always so far there's more to discover, you know, mm-hmm. or you can go outward and so far there's more to discover. And it seems like uh, I see how the universe can stand in for like a personal God, but um, I guess I guess that's like a, a question though. Like if if there's the ultimate reality is personal, or if it's not, because we don't think of the universe as personal. Mm-hmm. But um, if it, one thing I've thought of before. If it's not, ultimate reality is not personal, then that means we are, as personal beings, are kind of like at the pinnacle, you know, the mm-hmm. highest. Um, it's almost like, well, we're God, you yeah. know, in a way. Um, so um, something bigger and greater is coming from the lesser in that sense, mm-hmm. whereas if... God is personal, then it makes sense that, um, you know, we're personal because he is mm. our, our creator. You yeah. Know? Yeah. But anyway, yeah, I, I do, I do get the logic in that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, as we discussed earlier, I would just, for me, it, it's okay to just stop at acknowledging that people are personal and that we are able to care for each other. And then, I'm not really looking for a uh, theatic source for that. But but I do admit that I don't have any clue where that came from. So I don't I don't have the answers when it comes to that. I don't know. Yeah. Um but I do find it nice to know that everybody is able to uh yeah, be personal and be connected to each other. And yeah, and it the impression I get is like you don't find the theistic theistic framework as mm-hmm. satisfying like you were trying to force it yeah. upon yourself whereas 
like my experience of it is like more of discovery, you know, mm. trying to, you know, wonder and think, you know, who is God? What is he, he like? Trying to find him. It's not like trying to force anything, but so I, I was going to ask or was wondering, you know, like what's the most satisfying, a personal God or not? But it sounds like for you, like orthodoxy was just something that didn't seem very satisfying and just like, you know. Yeah, and, and the weird thing right. is that, as I said before, I'm very ambivalent. So uh, I do pray before I eat, and I find that an important ritual. But when mm. I pray, sometimes it's just the same prayer, and sometimes I'm suddenly speaking to this personal God. Uh, and uh, So if... if if God is personal and if he is there and you can, it makes sense to pray and ask yeah. him to, if he is there to reveal himself to your, yeah. to you and so forth, you know, right. Yeah. Yeah. But so I guess I still do have the hope that there will, there is a personal God. So it's a hope. So it's attractive to you in some, at sense. some point, but at okay. some times it isn't. So it's okay. even that is not, uh, black and white. Okay. So at moments, uh, there are moments when the idea of a personal committed God is really beautiful, and there are moments when I think it's uh, very, very restrictive. Um, so, uh, and I've just come to accept the good thing about being Orthodox is that it doesn't. Uh, the good thing about not being Orthodox is that you're not pretending to have a very black and white worldview anymore or know the truth. So I'm completely fine with being ambivalent in that. And at some points praying to a personal God and at some points I'm not. Whereas if I would hear myself talking 16 years ago, I would say, oh, you're such a, uh, a love a Christian. Uh, <laughs> how do you call it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cowardly, cowardly Christian. Christian, because you're just cherry picking. I mean, that's not how God is meant to be. You're, you're not supposed to cherry pick Christianity. It's either the whole packets or nothing. Well, that that's kind of I want. I was wondering because in the very beginning of the conversation, you said essentially your your more secular view comes from a refusal of dogmas, mm -hmm. but. I think there are two ways to go. I also refuse dogmas, but to me, God is the only place then to go, and I can f figure out the rest as I go. And mm -hmm. it's a struggle. It's uh, it's a it's a search. It's an adventure. But it seems to me because we grew up in the same house mm -hmm. in the same church, yeah. and so. I just wondered, why is it that if you want to refuse the dogmas and you've got, well, we have two very different approaches. Mm -hmm. Mine is to, to go, okay, I, I believe in a personal God and I have no idea how to, how to work that out, mm -hmm. but that's my foundation to put it like that. And for you, it's, I refuse the dogmas and therefore also God. Is that fair? Well, therefore also 
the orthodox gods that uh, you make part of everything you do in your life. I refuse that. Um, and thereby, I am refusing uh, like the God I know from the Bible and I've been taught about. So, and, uh, and in a way, I still have a bit of an orthodox view about that because then I'm, I shouldn't call myself a Christian anymore. Um, and I refuse that because in my students' years, I've been part of a more fundamentalistic student organization, whereas your personal, so it was very evangelical, uh, where everything you did should have been at the honor of God. And people would say, are you on the throne or is Jesus on the throne? Put Jesus on the throne. Um, and it was just really toxic for me. And it was intrusive. Um, and it made me... Uh, it made me cross personal boundaries. Uh, and it hurt me. Uh, and then I realized this is not how I want to live my life and I need some space to move away from that. Uh, and who knows where I will be in 10 years because sometimes I'm thinking, oh, I would like to become Catholic because I like that you just do the rituals and nobody is forcing a certain view of God. Sometimes they even pray in Latin. I would love that. You would just go to church and just, it would be your own responsibility to uh, what your faith actually is. Whereas in a more Protestant, evangelical environment, everybody's constantly talking about what you are supposed to believe. Um, so I rejected that kind of God. So like my thoughts about the Catholic is like, there are some parts of Roman Catholicism that's really attractive to me. Mm -hmm. But from what I understand, I can't be a Catholic because I don't believe all of the dogma mm. and but with a protestant like there's only a few basic things i have to believe to be protestant to be christian yeah. and um it's like you know trusting in jesus believing he's the son of god that he died for my sins and that god raised him up yeah. and that um you know just if you and then like i can disagree about a whole lot of things and i do yeah. you know with other Protestants, but like with Catholic, I can't just go to confession or I can't just, you know, I got to take kind of the whole thing technically. Yeah, but, uh, maybe I should rephrase my words. I sometimes thinking maybe I should go to Catholic church more often. I, right. I don't think I would become a Catholic very soon. To enjoy the ritual. Yeah, to enjoy the rituals right. and the sermon. Right. Uh, because I feel a lot more uh, room for just... Uh, giving your own uh, interpretation and also finding your own way in that. Because right. if, if you say what all the things you believe as a more, uh, as a Protestant Christian, that, that summary are all the things you say, like God, if this, uh, Jesus is the son of God, he died for your sins. I'm like, hmm, I'm not too sure about that. So, so that's precisely the reason why I don't feel home at church mm -hmm. because every time, you are supposed to uh, at least want to believe that. 
Which makes sense because that's what church is for. But every time I was there, I was just I just realized I don't think this is for me. Mm-hmm. Right. And maybe the rituals are for me. Who knows? Okay. Yeah. Um, any thoughts, boss? Um, also many, but <laughs> <laughs> I just think I just think that there's an irony in t- because to me the Catholic Church is one that tells you what to believe much more so than the Protestant tradition, which, which is ironic. But I, and also because I know you, I understand the the troubles you have with the Protestant church and that there is this line of dogmas and uh, the things that you essentially have to believe to be part of a church. And to me, those things are settled and that's about it. And to me, the church is a place where, where I can go and I can, I can question everything. Mm. And that, it's almost like you're in between two extremes where one you you refuse the the dogmas that you grew up with and you're you're looking to 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 substitute it mm-hmm. but then you also see an attractiveness to and now I'm going to just say it rudely to being told what you believe Mm-hmm. Because in that framework, if it's so clear, I think there's freedom for you. Yeah, but I mean, there are two things I would like to say about it. First of all, I think, I mean, at the start of our conversation, you said you are stuck between two worlds. Or no, I should say it differently. I phrased it as if you were stuck in two worlds. But you don't necessarily have to be stuck. You can also find a very inspirational place there and for me it doesn't feel like i'm in between two extremes i've just found a spot that suits me Uh, but other people are trying to put me in one extreme or the other Um, whereas i and that really depends on the backgrounds because certain friends keep asking me what do you believe i don't get it what do you exactly believe whereas other friends are just fine with me praying before dinner and then not believing. I mean, that's not a problem to them. So it's more the environment that uh, wants some clarity and therefore puts me between two extremes, whereas I'm fine with where I am. Um, And the second thing is that my comment about uh, going to Catholic church is related to the rituals, so not to the teachings. Uh, What I like about the Catholic church I've been here once or twice, so maybe this is weird. Uh, but I just, i it's more the other way around. I just realized I love the rituals. And I, uh, at my work a year ago or two years ago, a student of ours died, uh, which was real intense. Um, and then I suddenly realized that my colleagues didn't have any rituals to cope with it or to, to give meaning to it. Uh, and I directly said, well, we need a room where people, or they asked, well, do we need a room where uh, students can be silent? And I would directly say, yes, of course. 
and you put a candle there and a picture and you just say to the students, you can go in whenever you like. And then my colleague said, well, what if nobody comes? And I said, well, then you just do the ritual out of respect for a student. Uh, and we need to come together as colleagues and just uh, be quiet for a few minutes. And I realized that many people don't have rituals at all. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly at existential moments, you you are completely empty-handed. And what I do really, really like about growing up religiously is that you are granted certain rituals. uh, And that's what I like about, that's what I think I would like about going to a Catholic church, is that there are many more rituals. Mm -hmm. And those are important. And one of the rituals I do miss is uh, at Avondmaal, Lord's Supper. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Just standing with the whole church together and having supper together. Right. I loved it, but I didn't at some points I couldn't believe it anymore, but that's so that's the second remark that I if I say I would like to be Catholic, it's because of the rituals and the rituals I value a lot. So, we've been talking about believing and mm-hmm. I wonder if there's a difference here between uh, believing and trusting so like believing you know for that God raised Jesus from the mm-hmm. dead or that he was a sacrifice for my sins so there's some sense in which um, you know I was just born yesterday so to speak I don't know anything with certainty you know yeah. but it, it it comes to the place where like what am I going to frame my life on like what am I going to trust like what's going to what am I going to rest in and take comfort in? And in that sense, believing is not so much saying, well, I know this and that yeah. in uh, like an imperialistic way or something. Um, it's But more of, well, that's what I'm going to rest in and, and so forth. So um, you, when you're talking about uh, believing... Um, is that kind of uh, is there a difference there between believing and trust when you're saying um, you know you um, th- does it make sense to kind of believe in that trustful way even without certainty if you were you know if that j- just seemed like that that just satisfied your soul mm-hmm. and that was you know in in Dutch, I sometimes make the uh, distinction between if something is geloofwaardig, which is believable, or believe-worthy. Okay. Hmm. Um, geloofwaardig en waarschijnlijk, um, which is truth-seeming, uh, literally translated. So you either have believe-worthy or truth-seeming, and I'm looking for English uh, equivalents, but I don't think you could say reli- well, reliability is also about trust. So let's keep it at belief-worthy and truth-seeming. And I would say that Christianity is very belief-worthy, but not very truth-seeming. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, in order to trust something... There must seem to it must be quite truth seeming as well. 
Mm-hmm. So it must be waarschijnlijk. Not only geloofwaardig. Um, not And only worth believing, but also seemingly true. And if I look at the truth, then I find it a lot, lot, lot more uh, waarschijnlijk, uh, probable, that uh, there is no God. And and especially and that especially Christian God is not the truth. I find it a lot more probable than there is. Uh, and I mean, the existence, the probability of the existence of God is, of course, you can debate it about that. So, but still, I don't see any empirical reason why that God would be Christian, and especially not why that God would be the gods that you meet in the books that were selected for the Bible. Uh, so, uh, and also not that all the things that are said in the Bible are tr- uh, truth-seeming. So, I do understand your distinct, uh, I mean, the different way in which believing works. Uh, mm-hmm. But for me, Truth also matters to some extent, and you cannot, sure. you can never get a 100% certainty in truth, but right. there is probability in truth. Right, and um, yeah, I've I've kind of have thought we're probably more subjective than we realize, mm. and um, like if I really, my soul just rebelled against like the Christian worldview. I think I could build up a pretty good argument for secularism, you know, and so forth. Um, but, you know, I, I'm really attracted to the God mm-hmm. of the Bible, so I'm kind of naturally thinking, well, this is a reason for believing, and this is a reason for believing. And it's probably, because we're not totally objective, it's probably hard just to really objectively weigh things and And how would you do that? There's so there's a world of facts and information. Yeah. You know, I think um, one of the reasons for believing is the Christian God would be on like historical grounds of the resurrection. Mm-hmm. And I was listening to a guy's name's Mike Lacona, and um, he was talking about just the minimal facts, you know, mm-hmm. that everyone accepts, even non-believers. Um, You know that Jesus was a historical person that um, the Romans executed yeah. him, and that the writers of the New Testament um, they sincerely believed that he rose yeah. from the the dead, and that um, and that last point that they're not like even unbelievers don't tend to think that they're trying to fool somebody, but yeah. the, like they're sincere writers. So then from a historical perspective, it's just like, what kind of answer do you give to that? Yeah. And of, of course, from the very beginning, um, there were those who d- didn't believe or, you know, I suppose. So anyway, um, it's not a totally black and white type of thing, mm. but it is kind of like, Well, if you, if this is like, just hits at satisfaction, yeah, you can think, well, these are reasons to believe, and this is a reason, and then personal experience can be a reason too, like people's 
like I was 18 when, you know, I had the conversion experience mm-hmm. and this whole new thing just opened up to me. Yeah. And that can be like, I think I had an encounter with God, you know, that can be a yep. reason. But then, um, of course, if like none of that appeals, then, you know, yeah, you can pull together your I reasons. Com- yeah, for I can completely understand uh, yeah. your perspective there and also the historical arguments and also the personal arguments. So, yeah. I completely get it, and I think it's also beautiful that uh, you know what you stand for. That's important to stand for something and to yeah. believe in something. For me personally, all those reasons has have never really convinced me. I wanted to be convinced by them at some point, but every hmm. time I just thought, "This is," I don't find it convincing at all, and I'm just confused by other people saying they're convinced by arguments which are very uh yeah rommelig uh shaky shaky very shaky arguments and Mm. then i'm just listening to them and think this is quite shaky and then other people around me are completely convinced by it and that's just that's one of the reasons why it's so relaxing to stop that exercise right and think okay i just accept i don't find it very convincing but i do find it inspiring to see that other people are convinced by it yeah so what are your thought you're shaking your head about like do you have any thoughts about that <laughs> um no just for me it comes back to what i what i said a while ago that there are two two it's almost like you're floating and there are two ways to fall back on something yeah because i i i recognize so much of what you're saying and to me I also have a lot of trouble truly believing things. Some things are true, but to me, I the, the alternative was never as attractive as God, and mm. so I, I recognize it's just that I I feel I fell backwards and you fall forwards. To, yeah. to just put a an or just image fly in it. the middle. Yeah. Right. Well. Um, Okay, so I guess we'll wrap up here in a bit. Um, mm-hmm. Like maybe just, um, you know, you, you've talked, I, I th- maybe just for a final question, I'll just ask you about what you find satisfying in life, just to hear a little bit more from you. Mm-hmm. And it's broadly, I think that, you know, you've hit upon that pretty well as far as like community and doing yeah. good for others yeah. and stuff. But in your just week-to-week life you know, kind of more um, mundane or... Well, no, like what what does it look like when you're just... What do you really find satisfying in your life in, you know, uh, more descriptive terms? Yeah, well, let me give three examples. Okay. Um, one of them is I'm a teacher and I find it very satisfying to see you can... Uh, challenge your students uh, and challenge them and to uh, raise the bar and then let them experience that they are able to do a lot more than they thought at first. Hmm. Okay. I really enjoy doing that. Yeah. And then telling them, look, you can do it. You thought this text was too difficult. You thought you couldn't write this paper, but Hmm. here you are. uh, Mm -hmm. And this is great. So that's one of the things I really enjoy. Another one is in my neighborhood council, I really enjoy 
because I'm part of a neighborhood council, so I represent my neighborhood together with six other people. And we have a very diverse neighborhood with different backgrounds. And I really enjoy meeting all the people and uh, constantly uh, thinking about the, our differences and talking about our differences and acknowledging the difference and then saying, okay, let's do something good for the neighborhood. Hmm. And let's try to connect. I yeah. really enjoy that as well, especially when people think the differences are too great to work together. I do enjoy finding ways to connect again. Yeah. Uh, and the third one is just spending time with friends uh, and just uh, having, I'm very lucky to have quite a few friends I can just be with and not have anything planned but i uh, we just go there and then as soon as we're there we think let's go to the cinema and then we do that and that's really that's wonderful and i'm really blessed with uh, many friends also from different perspectives uh, i can relate to and i can be at ease with yeah that sounds good yeah well thank you peter thank, thank you, you. Baz also yeah. i really appreciate the conversation it was good yeah thanks so much mm -hmm.